1: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. I just noticed that I forgot to send out the notice that we're having the show today at the beginning of the Burning Bush Festival, which we're having out here in Oregon. We kind of named it the Burning Bush Festival because of, of course, Moses. Moses saw a light in the desert, and he was not going to turn away from it. And he called it a burning bush. And the reason why is in that area of the world, in the very hot, dry desert and the kind of bushes that they have, bushes can be known to spontaneously combust and burn up. So if you were living at the time of Moses, out there in the desert, tending your sheep, you would be out there, you know, kind of keeping an eye on them. I've been out on the desert tending sheep for many, many, many years. That's what I do out here. And when you uh, look out across the desert, uh, there's not much to look at. The TV doesn't work and uh, <laughs> there's no TV reception. And so uh, he would be gazing out there on the desert and he saw a light out on the desert at a distance. And in those days, it wasn't going to be a car light. You know, the chariots didn't have lights and uh, they didn't put lights on horses or donkeys. And so if you saw a light suddenly appear out in the desert where you knew there was nobody, you would imagine that it was a burning bush. That's what you would imagine because that happened in those days. Bushes spontaneously combusted. And so you would say, what is that light out there? Is that a burning bush doesn't look quite like a burning bush, but what else would it be? And you could go out to it, crossing the desert at night in the dark, to get to this burning bush, or you could just stay warm and cozy, tucked up there in camp. Well, Moses went out to see the light. He was willing to step out and go see the light that he could see out there on the desert. And he went to that thing that he only knew to call a burning bush. It appeared to him at a distance to be a burning bush. Did it look like a burning bush when he got up to it? Well, according to Renaissance painters, it looked like a burning bush when he got up to it. But, there's no evidence really that that's actually what he was seeing. That Those images that you see painting in your Bible books of a burning bush that was talking uh, is not really what the, the biblical text is telling you it looked like. That somebody constructing, based on a few lines, what they imagine Moses saw. And they paint it lots of different ways, and of course it adds to the uh, the unicorn syndrome of society. And uh, I just made that term up. We had recently posted on the network a uh, video, and you can see it at uh, you go to preparingu That's preparingyou.com. dot com, and uh, you look up unicorn. In the search engine, and it'll give you a page, and you'll see that video there. And it's really kind of a funny, interesting video about unicorns in the Bible. And he, the fellow who made it, he actually. Uh, puts in some clips of people poo-pooing the Bible because it mentions unicorn and there's no fossil records of unicorns anywhere. No one's ever seen a unicorn. Well, of course, the fact is almost everybody's seen a unicorn or at least a picture of a unicorn that really existed and there's lots of fossils of them. There's actually a variety of unicorns and uh, most people don't know what I'm talking about because they don't know what a unicorn is. But if you looked it up in a dictionary, you know, even just 200 years ago, a unicorn was a rhinoceros. And, of course, when you read it in the context of the Bible, it makes absolute perfect sense. And this guy really does a good job of putting it together in the little short video. But uh, this is what happens, is that people poo-poo the Bible because somebody draws conclusions about the text That are completely wrong. That that it's not really there. They draw a picture, either you know, actually a painting or a picture, or they draw one with words and descriptions. And they don't really know. You know, they're translating often these Bible uh, verses out of context of history. They don't know the history, or they don't understand the history, and that's to be understood because there's been a lot of distortion of history over the years. People distort the news, and that just happened. <laughs> so, the idea that they're going to distort history uh, should be a no-brainer. And once you distort history, and then you try to translate the Bible and interpret the, the the Bible, you may take the Bible out of the context of history. And I got an email just a little bit ago, uh, an hour or so ago, when I first got up and was... Uh, And looking through things, I saw this email come in. Actually, it was a couple hours ago. And uh, it was about Paul and about government and about Romans 13. And, of course, we write all kinds of things about Romans 13. And we have videos and audios up about Romans 13. But we have it also about Paul and what Paul was really doing and what he was really saying. And it's quite different from the impression that you get from most modern ministers. But, of course, most modern ministers have delivered the whole world back into bondage of Egypt. They uh, practice the corbin of the Pharisees on a regular basis. They actually even promote the corbin of the Pharisees. And uh, it's really an abomination. Most churches are an absolute apostasy for all kinds of reasons, and we talk about them in great detail. And that makes it pretty bold that I'm saying that because who made me right? Well, you have to go look at the facts. You gotta go see. And the fact is, is, and this is one of the discussions we had with one of the first, uh, couples that showed up. They actually showed up early because they had to get back to, uh, Las Vegas where they live. And, they uh we shared some things with them i I went out you know it's kind of busy around here and, and they helped set up some of the yurts and uh and I went and shared with Dan some of the things that we're doing, and he evidently listens to us on k k v v which we also heard there on that station five days a week in las Vegas but we shared with him some of the goals of the early church, which are our goals, because that is what the the church was established by Jesus Christ to promote his doctrines, his purposes, by the same faith and rituals and ceremonies. And those rituals and ceremonies are things like taking care of the poor. That's a ritual. It, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, having... Silk vestments or linen vestments, and you know, and, and making, uh, blowing smoke out of incense things, and you know, that isn't the weightier matters. That isn't what Jesus was focusing on. Jesus was focusing on righteousness, on what he called the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And most churches have no idea that Jesus was actually preaching a government when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying the government of God is at hand. This is how the government of God works. The government of God works by faith, hope, and charity. That's what John the Baptist was saying. You know, you have two coats and your neighbor has a need. You, you for a coat, you, you share a coat with him. But it's your choice. You see, because it's the perfect law of liberty. You get to choose how you're going to help out the needy of your society. Today, the churches don't really help out the needy. Oh, they have their little token, uh, charities, you know, like, uh, you know, we have a food kitchen and, uh, you know, we, we put a thousand dollars into the food kitchen or two thousand or ten thousand. How much did they put into their big screen TV? The fact is, is that if you as a congregational member of most of these churches have any social welfare needs, You don't get them filled by the church. You get them filled by the government. And the government is composed of who? Men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Which Jesus said you weren't to be like. The other governments of the world. The other nations. You weren't to be like that. You weren't to have your welfare taken care of by men who exercise authority, one over the other. And you do. All of you do. You know, every everybody out there. And those of you who say, oh, no, we don't. We take care of ourselves. Talking about your family or whatever it is, you as an individual. How much effort have you put into creating a network of people to take care of the needy of your society by faith, hope, and charity? Are you doing that? Or are you just not paying your taxes? Because you don't want to be under the thumb of government. Or you just don't, maybe you pay your taxes, but you just don't take any of the benefits. But what are you doing to seek the kingdom of heaven for your neighbor as much for yourself? In other words, are you coming together in a congregation of people not bound by contracts and covenants and and membership but bound by love you actually take the time to come together to be there for one another in a congregation and in that when that congregation has no need you still contribute to the need of some other congregation hopefully or some congregation that hasn't even met in order to form a congregation. Who has not even heard the Word of God? They still think the Word of God is you just say you accept Jesus. You don't actually have to know who Jesus was. And, you know, you could you could have your Renaissance painters paint any kind of picture of Jesus. And you say, oh, that's Jesus. Or is that Jesus? Or is that Jesus? Or, is that Jesus? Well, actually, what your pastors are doing is painting a picture of Jesus... That isn't really the real Jesus. Which is why your nations, all your nations, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, England, United States, South America, all the people are in debt. You know, and the Bible is clear that that's not a good thing. They're all surety for the debts of their government. Which it tells that you shouldn't be such a surety. You shouldn't strike hands and become such a surety. You certainly shouldn't be selling your rights to obtain such security, because that would be the error of Balaam and the Nicolaitans and Esau, who sold his birthright, his responsibility, in order to obtain free meals, free gifts, free benefits. You're not supposed to be doing that, but yet you've done that in all these nations that claim they're Christian nations. Because they have rituals and ceremonies I never saw Jesus doing. I mean, Jesus never baptized anybody. The apostles did, but when they got baptized, they were leaving one social welfare system based on force, like the Corbin of the Pharisees, and entering into a social welfare system like John the Baptist talked about, based on faith, open charity, which also Jesus talked about. Your churches aren't doing that. Your churches aren't leading you down that path. They aren't leading you to the ways of the early church, or the ways of Christ, or the ways of John the Baptist, or the ways of Moses, or the ways of Abraham. So your synagogues are just as much an apostasy. You, you don't even follow Moses in your synagogues. And as for... Those who claim to be following Abraham in their mosques, they aren't doing what Abraham was doing. He was setting up altars based on faith, hope, and charity. They took care of the needy and bound society together by love for one another and care for one another and concern for one another. You guys aren't doing that. Your priests aren't in church. Your church is the state. Your church is the powers of the world. That's who you go to for your benefits. And even if you don't go to them for your benefits, like I say, if you're not creating the alternative, you are the problem. You aren't following Christ because Christ came to create the alternative, to establish the alternative. And you're not doing that. So you're not following Christ. You're not... Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're just doing your own thing. You're just playing church. Your real church is down there at City Hall. You know, wherever you go to for your welfare office. So, anyway, I got this letter today from somebody who there's a, a form deal on the internet where you can um, write us a letter, and then I usually get it. I think I usually get it, <laughs> but I may not always get it. Um, every time I get it, I I try to respond to them. But I, uh, I got this letter, and it's from a guy, we'll just call him B.R., and uh, he writes, uh, Dear Folks, which I guess is to us at the church, in regards to Romans 13, which is misunderstood by the vast majority, I have this to say. And, of course, now we, like I said, we have. We show you what Romans 13 really means. And we've written whole books on it. And you can download those books for free. We don't charge you anything. If you think that our efforts are worthwhile, you can certainly contribute to us. But that's your choice because, you see... The government of God, and the church is defined as one form of government. The form of government that is the church established by Jesus Christ. In other words, the form of government established by Jesus Christ operates by the perfect law of liberty. It has ministers. It has taxes. But you tax yourself. You decide what you want to give to your ministers. And you decide which ministers you want to give it to. That's something you must select to do. It's up to you. We're not going to make you. We're not going to kick in your door. We're not going to fine you. We're not going to put you in jail or threaten to put you in jail if you don't contribute to us. We're going to go do out what is written on our hearts and our minds. And we hope you do the same. And that's the government of God. Now, all the other governments of the world, they don't do it that way. You see, men do need government. But they need a righteous government. And righteous government is based on liberty. And the right to choose. And giving you the right to choose. You want to have vegetables? You want to have beets in your salad? We give you the right to choose. Well, you decide. Uh, now, if you don't want them, you don't have to put them in there. We give you choices all the time. And if you make the right choice, then God will bless you. If you make the wrong choice, well, you've cursed yourself. And you're making the wrong choice every day out there in the world. People are doing it. And hopefully we we get them to turn around and make the right choice. But most of them won't. But anyway, so we already talk about Romans 13. He doesn't seem to mention anything about what we've written. He's just looking for some form in order which to write to us. He says, Romans 13, about obey those who have the rule over you is a major contradiction to what Jesus taught And therefore, cannot be true or inspired. Well, actually, that is exactly what Jesus taught. Jesus said, if you owe Caesar, pay Caesar. So, that's exactly what Jesus taught. And and Jesus admitted that if you have a master, you should obey him. He just said, you can't obey two masters. So, if they have rule over you, how do they have rule over you? Well, you've made covenants with them, contracts with them, applied to them for free education and health care and, and all sorts of protection and benefits. And, and if you want to go abroad, you want one of their passports. And if you go get one of their passports, they've already written down, anybody who has a passport can be conscripted to work in civilian work projects without pay. Compelled to work in civilian work projects. And, of course, that's what you are. You're compelled when you you, you go get your employee identification number. You will have to work part of the day without pay. What you do for McDonald's or Rocketdyne or whoever you work for, the money that you earn doesn't go to you. It goes to the government because you're working for the government. I asked my dad that when I was a small boy. I said... Who do you work for? And he says, Well, until July 1st, I worked for the government because he was in a 50% income tax bracket. Half of all the money he made I had to go to the government. So half of every day or half of every year, he was working for the government. And that, that's the way that system is. And I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm just saying what it is. You see? And so if you're working for them, you have to pay them. You have to pay your taxes. If you've applied for their benefits or your parents sold you into an apprenticeship with them, you owe them. You have to pay. And so it's not a major contradiction to obey those who have rule over you. The question is, how do they have rule over you? Have you been like Esau and the Nicolaitans and Balaam and sold your birthright for... A pot of benefits? Well, that's why Jesus said, you are not to, you know, when he's talking to his appointed ministers, his apostles, he's saying, you're not to be like the princes of the other nations, the Gentiles, who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority. In other words, the church is the government that does not exercise authority. It's another form of government. It should be and used to take care of all the social welfare needs of the people. It doesn't. See, this guy, he goes on and he says, Most Christians think that God is the author of human government. But I would totally disagree with that belief. Well, that's true. You know, God didn't sign the Constitution. Men were the author of the Constitution, or or whatever government you're in. You know, parliaments whatever government is set up in Canada or or New Zealand or Australia or Brazil or whatever, that's set up by men. That's not set up by government. But God allows you to do that. He allowed Esau to sell his birthright. He allowed the Israelites to go into bondage in Egypt. He allowed the people of Israel to elect Saul as a king. He told them it was a rejection of God to do so and that that he would end up taking and taking and taking and taking and draft your sons and even your daughters eventually to his purposes. He told you that they would do this and that someday you would cry out and he would not hear you. He told you, but you did it. It wasn't instituted by God. He allowed you to institute it. So the guy's right, is that human governments are instituted by humans, not by God. God's government was instituted by Christ. And it is based on faith, open charity and the perfect law of liberty. That you come together out of love. Not by making contracts, covenants, or constitutions. Because we weren't to make covenants with men and make them God's ruling judges over us. And I, I just did two shows on jury and jury nullification. And they will be a part of an article coming out with News of Views. And... In that article, we're going to show you how and where these gods may come from and why it is written that ye also are gods and what Jesus meant by that. But we have to lay a little bit of foundation, but we're going to take it another step farther in the next article. Uh, But anyway, you'll be able to hear those shows when that article comes out. And some of you will hear them on some other networks before then because we have to record so many shows during the week to get all the radio stations happy. (laughs) So, anyway, and we try to review that on Liberty Radio, which is one of the first live shows that we do each week. But you're going to have to begin to wake up and see the wholeness of this. And the guy goes on to mention Paul and, and pastors and clergy and laity, and he doesn't understand. And I told him that we would talk about it on today's show, so I sent him an email. I don't know if he is going to be coming on the show and listening, but uh, you can listen uh, when we return to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment and reveal to you the rest of the story. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about some of the uh, things that are often misunderstood in the Bible. And one of them is that as Moses went out and was not afraid and was willing to see the light. Find out what it is. He would not turn from this. He was going to go out there and discover what it was. You need to be willing to do the same thing to see the truth to see the whole truth and provide for it. You know, like Patrick Henry said. Willing to know that whole truth. Because the chains are already forged and you forged them. And you have bound yourself so that uh, you have to obey human government because you have applied to human government or your parents did to obtain benefits. You know, I was pointing out to somebody just yesterday that most of the people in the... United States were not educated in public school in the 1900s. They were most were educated and there was a high degree of literacy more so in the United States than almost anywhere else. Yeah. Even with the the huge slave population and, and existing Aboriginal Indians, our literacy rate was extremely high. And it was not due to public schools. It was due to the fact that people actually took the time to learn and and teach one another and to help pay for each other's education. Even the first public schools were heavily supported by private donations because people knew it wasn't right to force their neighbor to contribute to pay for education. Now it's it's so common. They just have an absolute cognitive disconnect. From understanding that every time you want to increase the benefits of government, you do it at the expense of your neighbor. And they, it, it, that's totally against Christ, totally against the commandments of God, totally against what used to be considered free societies. Absolutely an abomination. But people don't do it. They, they think abomination is what the government is doing. You know, they're all worked up about Syria. And, uh, you know, supposedly they use gas, and there's evidence that's already come out that the gas was actually manufactured by the United States government. And not that they administered it. There's also a question as to whether the Syrian government or the rebels used it. We know the rebels. We have not filmed on uh, uh, actually cutting out the heart of uh soldiers they have killed And eating it on the screen. And uh, we're supposed to finance their rebellion. We're supposed to send them guns so they can do this. While they want to take guns away from their own population. What you have here is that men have instituted governments and government offices of power. They have given men the power to decide... Fifteen percent of Americans can be forced sending arms to Syria, and the rest not. And the government will still do it. Most of the other governments of the world don't want to support that, but the government will still do it. Because they have the power and you don't. They're at liberty to decide on your behalf. Because you gave them that power. And you gave them that power because you were slothful and ignorant and opposed the ways of Christ. Oh, you said you believed in him, but you don't really believe in Jesus. You believed in that painted image of Jesus you were given in Bible school, which is a complete fraud. Jesus was actually setting people free. Anybody who got the baptism of Jesus were no longer members of the system of Corbin which was the social welfare system of Herod and the Pharisees that was based on forcing people to contribute to provide a rich and full treasury of benefits, which was is and always has been the antithesis of the teachings of God to the prophets. But you would know that because you've taken the Bible out of the context of history. And that's what we're doing is putting it back in the context of history. So we're going to say a lot of things that you don't agree with because you're ignorant. Now, I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm saying you're ignorant. But if you choose to stay ignorant and not learn the truth about history, the whole truth, and provide for it, then I will add, you're stupid. You're you're foolish. If not stupid. Stupid may be it a difficult word to describe. Those who choose ignorance are foolish. And I guess they're, they're going to remain stupid. But right now, you've simply been fooled. And, and we were told the whole world would be fooled, deceived. Even the very elect would be, except by the grace of God. And if you're going to understand that you're not seeking the kingdom unless you're seeking an alternative, to the needs of society, based on faith, hope, and charity, then you're not seeking the kingdom of God in His righteousness, and so therefore you're not listening to Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus, and you're not a Christian. You're a pseudo, false, apostate Christian who isn't saved, just under a strong delusion. And when Jesus comes, whether it's, you want to call it the second coming, third coming, fifth coming—I don't care what number you put on it—there's no mention of a second coming. But when you're faced with judgment, God's gonna say, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. Cause you weren't doing what I said, you weren't doing what Jesus said, you weren't doing what the prophets said. As a matter of fact, when somebody says it, you, you condemn them. You, you're not contributing to the character of Christ in the land. And therefore your land is void of the character of Christ and will be destroyed. There's nothing you can do about it. You, you can whine and cry all you want, but he already told you he's not going to hear you. So anyway, the guy goes on to say uh, Jesus spoke uh, of himself as the only shepherd, which means pastor. Uh, well, actually, shepherd means shepherd. And so then the organized church system of clergy and laity world is very off-base. No, no, absolutely it's not. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to appoint the kingdom of God to everybody. He said, to my little flock, I'm going to appoint the kingdom of God. And they went out and appointed other men. And so, therefore, you have the clergy, which are just the clerks of the kingdom. They're the ones who just go from house to house and Distribute the bread of to the needy, and we see that in first century church and second century church writings that they said that we gather once a week, and those that have share with those that don't have enough because that's love they're they're saying well you, you don't have a coat, I got two you don't have any food. well, I got an extra bag of grain, and uh, those that have share with those that don't have enough, and of course that's love. To do that. That's charity. To do that. The same word you see translated love. When Jesus says it, it's translated charity when Paul says it. And you don't think there's an agenda with translators. Now, I'm not saying it's false. I'm just saying you don't understand. Then unless you are providing the charitable needs of your church in all aspects of the lives of your congregation, from health care to welfare, you're not practicing the Christianity taught by Christ. You're not doing what the first century church was doing. You see, you're an apostasy. I don't care how big the screen TV is in your church. I don't care how good the sound system is. I don't, don't care how good the music makes you feel. You're a false Christian, unless you're taking care of all the care and welfare of your congregations, all, so that none of them have to go to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Am I saying not to pay your taxes? You're already under those authorities. You're going to have to pay those taxes. But you can't be taking those benefits and say, or, or not, you, if you take those benefits, you have to realize you have to take those benefits because you haven't been seeking the kingdom of God. You have to pay your tally of bricks until they release you. And they will release you, but if you don't have the skills of liberty, which is a skill, as a society, then you will perish. And should perish. Because you should be under, you should be in bondage. You should be under tribute. Because you've been slothful in the ways of God, in the ways of Jesus Christ, in the ways of John the Baptist, in the ways of Abraham, in the ways of Moses. And I don't care if you're a Jew or a Muslim or a Christian or a Buddhist. If you're not taking care of the needy of your society by free will offerings, then you aren't doing what the prophet said to do. You're just not doing it. And you're not doing it because you don't really believe it. And so when you tell me you believe in Jesus, show me. That's what James says. By their works, you shall know them. By the fruits of their faith, which will be works, you will know them. Now, sure, there are some that could do works and not really have faith. And they might fool you. But those who don't have works, they don't have faith. Because there's no fruit. The the fruit of faith is works. Works. And we go and show that that's what Paul's talking about. Paul says he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ said, if you want eternal life, keep the commandments and that includes don't covet your neighbor's goods. Paul is not an apostate. You just don't understand Paul. And often, unfortunately, you don't understand Paul because you don't understand Christ. Christ appointed a clergy that we're not going to sit around and tell you what to believe and lull you into a false sense of salvation. He created a clergy to take care of the needy of society. And they can't do that unless you love your neighbor because it's your love offering that gives them the power to do that. unfortunately, what they've been doing with your love offering is putting on a show with their big screen TVs. You know, everybody who goes to a church with a big screen TV, they're going to keep hearing me say that. But, you know, I mentioned in one of the shows on Jury that there was uh, a family that uh, whose son, I think I actually mentioned on this show uh, once, where there was a son who was uh, molested by his public school teacher. A public school teacher put alcohol in soda pop and got the kid drunk and molested him and set up a deal where he was molesting this kid for years. Years and years and years. He was molesting this boy and putting the boy under all kinds of emotional stress because he was threatening, well, if you tell anybody, then it's going to go bad for your family and it's going to go bad for you. So he, he was just... He was just a shark devouring the soul of this boy who, who was going through, clearly going through all kinds of trauma and anger issues because of the suppressed guilt and, and feelings uh, that were created by this so called married teacher who was molesting the boy. And then other teachers came out and supported that teacher. And ask for leniency because the boy doesn't seem to be really harmed. He still is a straight-A student. Well, not according to his family. He's terribly harmed. And anybody who thinks that that does not alter or change the life, that it's okay to molest the boy, get him drunk. They talk about his first offense. No, it's just the first time he got caught. Not the first offense. It went on for years. In years, it was plotted, it was conspired, it was premeditated, and it was ongoing against the child. And the teachers supported him. And the parents, one of those teachers, and, and the honest parents in the school, uh, didn't want their kids to be in the classes of those teachers who supported this guy. And the school board wouldn't fire them. They feared being sued. Well, of course, the solution is not even send your kids to the school and homeschool your kids, and the people should have known that already, and then this would have happened. But it's this disconnect from morality, which is what we're going to be seeing in in all the news stories, where where you know where people are, uh, you know, officers who are chaplains. Relieved to duty because they actually talked about Jesus Christ and and preached their faith. They're not supposed to do that. Evidently, you can be a chaplain. That's bizarre. That's bizarre. You 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 can't share your faith as a chaplain. What are you? Well, you're what all these other pastors are. They're just showmen. Make you feel good. You know, to give pretense. They're not being. And again, who's your real clergy? In these socialist societies? It's the guys down at your social welfare office. Except for those benefactors, exercise authority. They force your neighbor to contribute. In Christianity, you are allowed to make that choice. Because that's the perfect liberty, law of liberty. That's the liberty they came to spy out. The liberty that Christ had set them free so that they could practice true faith and allegiance to god by loving one another but you're not doing that you're in false christianity you're not creating a network that could provide for any ne- you know there there's a volcanic vent evidently that has just shown up just outside the vatican <laughs> it's just just short distance away from the uh, the airport there in uh, Rome. And so what's going on with that volcanic vent? What do you, what do you think's happening there? <laughs> uh, there's another huge earthquake up in Alaska. And, and uh, the deepest uh, volcano uh, in the world is over, um, I think it's over a thousand meters down, is erupting. And they'll be all shaking coming loose here one of these days. And what's happened is you've created these offices of power that are destroying families and destroying society and are cognitively disconnected from the idea that you should have the right to choose how and who you give to. You know, the the Homeschooling Legal Defense I think it's an Association, HSLDA, whose founder is Mike Ferris, is uh, uh, there's a story up in, in Germany where the Germans have outlawed homeschooling because they don't want any alternative society growing up in their midst, and this is this is left over from the democratic socialists we used to know as Nazis. They've outlawed homeschooling, and they actually came in and took four children away from their parents and told them they were not going to see their children again because the parents had the audacity the boldness of teaching their children at home and the United States supports this I mean your, your attorney general is ab- advocating that same kind of policy and think that that's absolutely reasonable that the government owns your children And they can take your sons and daughters away from you. Where did we hear about that in the Bible? Where they take your sons and daughters away from you. When you elected Saul. Every time you elect a president, prime minister, I don't care what country you're in, you're just electing another Saul. Someone who can exercise authority. And why? Because you have no alternative Because you haven't been seeking the kingdom of God, which is what Moses taught, what Abraham taught, what John the Baptist taught, which Jesus taught, which was a clergy that did not exercise authority but provided the benefits of society through faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you were to strive to do that. Seek ye first. That's a do word. The kingdom of God. And the righteousness of God. In other words, to liberty. God gave you choice. You have to give your neighbor the right to choose. Whether it's the right to educate their children. Or the right to contribute to the poor. Or the right to contribute to the education of their neighbor. Or even the right to eat what they want to eat. That's a spirit of of forgiveness. Produces a society that allows you the right to choose. But also allows you the right to freely assemble in congregations of love and faith. And the same rituals and ceremonies we see the early church doing where they gathered together once a week and those that had shared with those that did not have enough. Because they cared about their neighbor as much as they cared about themselves. And uh, the story I was looking at was uh, Darmstadt, Germany and that the children of this family from 7 to 14 were taken away. And it's not just Germany that's doing the same thing. It's Sweden and other countries are, uh, in the European Union are, are considering this outlawing completely. I mean, they already make it difficult, but outlawing completely. And they have a picture of this family, and it's a lovely family. And it's a family and parents who care about their children, and they're well-educated children. But there was a brutal, and I'm quoting here, brutal and vicious attack. team of 20 social workers, police officers, and special agents stormed a homeschooling family residence in Darmstadt, Germany, forcibly removing all four of the family children ages 7 to 14. This kind of stuff actually goes on in America. You don't think it does? You don't know what's going on. And it it stems from the highest echelons of your Saul Syndrome government. Because you don't think it's possible to take care of one another through love. Your pastors aren't teaching you that. They're not the clergies of Christ. They're the clergies of Satan, the adversaries of Christ. The adversaries of Christ want you to live by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Just like Germany wants Dirk and Petra Wunderlich to bow down and get turn their children over to the state so that the state can take them and make, make the sons run before their chariots and the daughters become their confectionaries working for them. Family is not important to Germany. What's important to Germany is the power of right and it's the same way in Canada it's the same way oh you like to think of yourselves as benevolent or Australia or any of these countries they're all doing it they want to control and, and you have to guard against that and the only way to guard against that is to do the antithesis of that and that is to start taking care of one another through love and you don't do that you, you don't, you, the number of injustices I see in the world today, because people don't go down to the courtrooms. They don't support righteousness. They don't tend to what Jesus calls the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They just don't do it. Because they're saved already. Because they go to church and the church makes them feel so good. I love the music there. How trite, how naive, how decadent, a Christian. Are you a Christian at all? Christ came to serve, came to set men free. Are you gathering together to set men free? You wonder why you have the problems you have? Go read the story, uh, go look up Buckyball on the internet and see the spirit of control where this you know I I don't have any buckyballs I didn't even know what buckyballs were but evidently it's you know it's just these little magnetic ball bearings and, and people play with it and you know it's an office toy I guess I didn't know that you needed one but anyway I don't have time for stuff like that but Somebody had time for it and they were selling millions of them and they were working with the government and all of a sudden the government just shut them down because supposedly buckyballs are dangerous. Somebody might throw them and hurt somebody. Somebody might swallow them. Uh, And one guy pointed out, well, then they should outlaw coconuts because somebody might throw a coconut and hit you. There should be a safety. If you're going to grow coconuts, you need to get a special government permit. We're going to talk in the next part of the show about pastors and the dangers of not following the ways of Christ have become to those who do not know the ways of Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Paul. So listen in on the next show and we're going to shake the and rattle the bars of your cage. God bless.
0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the kingdom of God, as we always do, and we're talking about Paul, and we're talking about modern church, and we're talking about pastors in trouble. They're in trouble because they're not actually doing what Christ said, and they may be genuinely desirous to do what Christ said, but they haven't been taught this because the whole world has been deceived into believing that Jesus and faith and religion is just a thought. And we've done several shows on showing in an article that we have up on that word you use, religion. And religion, like I say 200 years ago, meant the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Today, religion is defined as what you think about this supreme being. You know, I'm quoting here. What you think about the supreme being, that's your religion. But that's not what religion was 200 years ago. Religion was the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man and your duty to your fellow man is to love your neighbor as yourself because you're supposed to love God and your neighbor as yourself and to love them means you have to care about them well God doesn't need your help God's pretty self-sufficient you know I mean you talk about your ultimate soul-sufficient survivor survivalist that's God he's good at it, okay you're not <laughs> Most people have to learn how to be survivalists because they don't know God. And so they're concerned about survival because it's all about me. It's all about what they want. It's all about their life. Christ came to give up his life for others. A survivalist comes to save his life despite others. So you really don't want to gather with a bunch of survivalists. Now I don't have anything against, you know, uh, learning a few survival skills just like a learning charity skills. Because charity is a skill. You know, you can't just give to everybody who has needs. You'll weaken them. You have to give, a, give in a way that strengthens the poor. And that's a challenge. That takes real skill and art and dis, uh, perception and attention and being able to say no when no is the best answer for the benefit of the individual. And to be able to rebuke, as many as I love, I also rebuke. So you get to tell people, and it says, you know, you're a pansy waste. You're a slothful, ignorant, self-indulgent fool, and I don't intend to feed your habit. You know, I'm going to give you bread so you can take your money and buy booze or drugs. You know, that's what these a lot of these food shelters are doing. They're taking care of people who are hungry so that they can take what money they have and go out and buy drugs. They don't have to spend their money on food because they got food kitchens. You have to have discretionary charity. You know, the the good Samaritan, he fed the guy who got beat up, but modern days, they're often feeding people who do the beating up. Thugs, criminals who live on the streets and rob people. They know where to get a free meal, and they just go and show up, and they get the free meal. And they're on their good behavior at the food kitchen, but then during the night, if they catch somebody they can mug, they mug them. They just go to the food kitchen because it's free, and it saves them money so that they don't have to do so much mugging because you know, even muggers are lazy. <laughs> so, I mean, come on, guys. Let's wake up. You don't even know who you're giving to. You just got to open door. Anybody who's hungry, just come, and we feed them. That's, Israel knew that was a big mistake, and so they gathered together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And they knew who was lazy, they knew who needed real help, they knew who had real problems, and they could deal with those problems because as many as they loved, they also rebuked and said, "Well, you know, the reason you're short of funds is because you're lazy, or you're you're not budgeting your money properly, or or because you know you're you're not taking the measure." of the truth about what you can do and what you can't do. You need to cut corners here and here and make some sacrifices and then you can get on good economic footing. And you can take care of your family, which I know you really want to do. And so that's why I'm helping you with this advice. And we'll even help you with financial funds. Because we know sometimes bad things happen. And we don't want you calling the benefactors who exercise authority because they'll make you a slave. They'll make you a surety for their debt. And if you're already doing that, if you're already calling on them, okay, let's start creating the alternative so that when the unrighteous mammon fails, you will be suitable for a more righteous habitation and that righteous habitation will be established amongst you and within you. You know, what happened, you know, people worry about 501c3 as if this is the great bane of the modern church. 501c3 Incorporation and subjugation, you know, when you're under 501c3, which is not for churches. 501c3, by the way, is for so called charitable institutions, non profit institutions, not even charitable, just non profit institutions. That's not for the church. Church doesn't have to fill out the 1023. But if it wants to, it can. But then, of course, the disadvantages, which we explain in the body of Christ versus the body of state and and the book, Covenants of the Gods, we show you the law. We show you what they say, that the disadvantages are that you become strictly regulated. So now your church is strictly regulated because you went and filed a 1023. But that's not the only problem. When you wanted to perform the sacrament of matrimony or marriage... Some people don't like the fact that I use the word matrimony, but matrimony just comes from the word matrix. And it's the matrix of the woman that changes status because her husband is still son of his father. But it's the woman who leaves her family and joins to the husband. So it's that matrix, that matrimony, that connection of her womb that is really changing status. Now, the husband's status changes too because he takes on the responsibility of being a husband and a father. But that's the union of holy matrimony. You know, man and then woman. Not that woman is not equal to man because in many ways she is equal. She's She can bring the Holy Spirit into a situation the same as a man. Well, she plays a little different role, but that role is just as important as the man's role. You can't have one without the other. You know, what is the sound of one hand clapping? It's silence. (laughs) Unless I'm smacking you across the face, (laughs) clapping you on your cheek. But the point is, is, if you're going to perform a state marriage, you have to get state permission. And so your pastors go down and register with the state. And they marry you. They unite you, not in holy matrimony, but in a state marriage where there are three parties. You, your spouse, and the state. And we explain all this in detail to Holy Matrimony versus Marriage. Uh, first chapter of the book, Covenants of the Gods. You download it for free on our, our websites. It's on all the websites. And you can go read it. When I wrote it, I took it to a top attorney. Uh, who wrote law books highest score ever on the Texas bar exam passed the California bar exam first test first time he took it passed with flying colors this is a smart attorney my dad (laughs) but uh, he was smart he was a smart guy and I gave it to him He, he, he poured over that for over three hours and he came back And basically he said, you're right, but they're not going to like you because I'm revealing to you the secrets of the universe, (laughs) the power of contract and who has delivered you. How come they can take, we talked in the last show about this family in Germany, how they can take their beautiful children away from them and say, you're not going to see your children again for some time because they had the audacity of teaching their children at home instead of turning them over to the state. I mean, whose kids are they, right? Well, they're the state's kids. And why? Because they went down and got a marriage license. And they registered their children, like Marcus Aurelius told the Christians to do. And they wouldn't. So he persecuted them. Because they wouldn't get Roman birth certificates, which were registered at the Temple of Saturn, which was a government building. You, you don't call it the Temple of Saturn, you call it the Bureau of Vital Statistics. And that's, that's where you, you register your children. And they're not your children anymore. They're now children of the state. And the state can come in and take your children away from you. Because you have another master. And why did you do that? Because your churches haven't been telling you that Jesus said to keep the commandments to have eternal life. Moses said, God said, make no covenants with them, nor with their ruling judges. But you did. And your pastors actually got a license to introduce you into that covenant as an officer of the state. They're working for the state. They're not working for God when they perform the marriage. You know, in, in ecclesiastical law, in canon law, it has been accepted in churches. Now, I, I'm, canon law doesn't bind you. Canon law admits that it's an opinion as by some men as to what God's law is. It, it's not enforceable like statutory law that you become subject to when you make covenants with the makers of statutes. It is a system where contract makes the law, but but in ecclesiastical law, it's different. It is just somebody's opinion about what they believe the law of God is. And in the opinion, Catholic Church, Episcopal Church, all these churches, they have said for centuries that when you get married in a church, the church is not a party to the union. That's important. The church is not a party to the union. That the clergy doesn't marry you. You marry each other. Because it's a contract between husband and wife and God. That's what matrimony is supposed to be. That the woman in becomes one with her husband. And therefore her husband's family because he's still part of the family. And when he goes to ask permission to get married, he goes to his father if his father's alive. If his father's dead and there's an uncle who's in charge of the family or something, or an elder brother, he would consult with them. If he's the eldest of the family, then he just goes and gets married. He he gives himself permission. But the family sanctions it, the congregations of the people sanction it, by sending two witnesses, to witness their union publicly. This is how you would get married, before the community. Because it's very important to the community that you're married and that they recognize that you're married. And they used to bake little cakes that were more like what we would call cookies or biscuits. And they would give them out to the children. This is where wedding cakes come from. They would give them those little sugar cookies or, you know, made with molasses or or they didn't have sugar cane. But there was a way to get sugar. I can show you how to do that out of grain. And uh, actually, we did that here at the retreat. And we're going to sh- show more about that later this afternoon, hopefully, if we get time, but we've got a busy schedule ahead of us. Um, but they give them these little cookies and say, this is the day that so-and-so and so-and-so got married to each other by exchanging vows and dedicating themselves one to another as husband and wife. And they do this because this is binding in law, but not in statute. It's binding in the natural law. And this is what we talk about in the book Covenants of the Gods and my dad said that lawyers don't want to hear about natural law because there's no money in natural law all the money is over there in equity in statutory law which is what your pastors are entering you into where now the state has the authority to take your children away to take all your assets away they can they can take all the assets of the marriage and give them to one party whichever one they like you don't have any to say so at common law now, I'm not talking about a common law of marriage. I'm talking about natural law. At natural law, you go to that community that witnessed the union of man and woman, husband and wife. And you say, we have a dispute. Can you help us resolve this? And in a true Christian church, that's what you would be doing. Because you would be doing what Jesus said, which was to tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, so therefore, if there was a dispute in the family, you would come to judge the law with mercy and faith trying you, you don't have the power to put the the uh, union asunder like the state does, but you have the power to try to strengthen their union and bring them back together in forgiveness and work out their differences and help them. But you don't do that. Your pastors have put the whole matter into the hands of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And your church has just put up a big screen TV and a sound system to make you feel good about it. And now I have pastors coming to me and say, what happened if gay people come into my church and want to get married? According to this law, I have to marry them. Well, of course. That's your master. You signed up. You applied to them. You, the, the, the definition of church in the law dictionary is a community or society established by Jesus Christ. Why'd you have to go get reestablished by the state? The state says that if you incorporate under the authority of the state, all other previous incorporation is null and void as if it never happened. happened. So in other words, when you go get incorporated, by their own words, they're saying that you're not established by Jesus Christ anymore. You're not the church under the authority of Jesus Christ. You're the church under the authority of the state. You're a state religion. And what's your job? Make people feel good about their bondage. And if your people need anything, we want you to send them to us, and they do in droves, to get their benefits, because we intend to make them slaves, and we want your help to do it. And the pastors say, oh yeah, we'll do that. Of course, they don't quite word it that way. They word it more like Satan would word it, you see. And now the pastors are coming to me and saying, oh my gosh, we're going to have to do this. What about the hospitals? Hospitals, Catholic hospitals, and, and I guess there's Protestant hospitals out there too. I've seen in the local bend that's a Catholic hospital, and I told them once they should take the word Saint, the S in Saint Charles <laughs> Hospital. That's what it's named. Take that S and you should put two lines down to it from the top, so it looks like a dollar sign. <laughs> 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 I don't go to that hospital. So, <laughs> but the point is, is if somebody wants to have an abortion, they have to perform it now. And yeah, they're going to have to do that. Why? Because they're, they're a state church. And they're a state hospital. You're not doing what Christ said. You haven't been doing it for hundreds of years. You haven't been doing it for so long, you don't even know what doing it looks like you you have gone down the wrong track so anyway this guy who wrote and we were talking about it in the last show and wrote and and was saying that uh he, he didn't he didn't think much of paul he actually thought paul was kind of an apostate and uh he says jesus spoke of himself as the only shepherd and uh and he says shepherd means pastor and of course it doesn't necessarily mean shepherd and what does a shepherd do? Does the shepherd go and grab the head of the sheep and shove it down in the grass and make them eat? No, he just leadeth them. He show them. He said, Look, if you gather together in faith, hope, and charity and take care of one another and love, you will prosper and become healthy and fattened and have many lambs. And that's the green pastures of Christ. But if you choose to pray to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, then you will be devoured. And that's what a good pastor does, is show them where the green grass is. You know, actually, I just discovered that there's a grass that grows in our field, very thick, in one of the fields of the church, that is a special herb. It appears that this is the right species. And it grows and it makes real strong teeth. It actually helps rejuvenate the enamel in your teeth so you have less cavities. And we've been mowing it down and feeding it to the horse. And we've got a Mustang horse that just loves to chew on wood. (laughs) He's very bored and antsy. And so we put a post in there and he just chews away like a beaver. And his teeth are just excellent and hard and everything. Well, we've been feeding him this herb that we could probably grind up and distribute to our congregations. And everybody will have good, strong teeth. You know, there's a lot of solutions, health solutions that we come up with that are, are cheap free and uh, can save your life and are non-invasive and natural and we come up with them why? because we've dedicated our lives to loving our neighbor even if it means telling them the truth and if you gather together with hundreds even thousands of people that all have that same dedication you'll come up with solutions nobody thought of and God will give you solutions that nobody thought of. And he will give you the power to implement those solutions. But if you're going to keep praying to men who call themselves benefactors, if you keep looking for the, the church that makes you feel good, well, lots of luck. How's that working out for you? You see, because there is a spirit of control and power that has become pervasive in the land of the free and has made them the land of bondage. And it's contaminated the whole world. The fellow in this letter, he goes on to say, In fact, I personally, as do many others, regard the Apostle Paul as a fraud. That's because he doesn't understand Paul. I sent him links to, I think there's like 20 or more audios just on Romans, you know, that was written by Paul. And we go through that and we tell about You know, who Paul was and who his family was and what words mean. I mean, Paul says he's preaching the gospel of Christ. The problem is, most people don't recognize the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying that he had to keep the commandments, and those who don't keep the commandments don't have anything to do with them. Somehow, other people say, Oh, that he's done away with the law. He uses the word nomos there in the Greek. That's a generic term. He's saying you can't commit adultery. He's saying that you were not to covet. I mean, he mentioned that several times. And, of course, the system of government that you have established, I don't care if you're, like I say, in Germany or or England or Canada or Australia, the governments you all have established is based on covetousness. You covet your neighbor's goods by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, to fix your teeth in New Zealand or to or to do uh, health care in the United States or... Uh, whatever it is I don't know what they call it national insurance in Great Britain I don't know what was somehow the initials in Canada come out SIN I I was trying to think of what that stands for social insurance something or other Um, and it comes out that your identifying number I think is called SIN and that's (laughs) sin I always thought that was kind of clever but you have to have that number in order to survive in your society but you don't have to take those benefits. And you, you could actually start seeking the kingdom and start providing those benefits in your local congregations through faith, hope, and charity. And start learning the skills and art of liberty. Because you're not ready for liberty now. You shouldn't be free. Because you don't know what it means to be free. It means that you are fulfilling your obligation to God and your fellow man. And that's religion. Your religion, the way you fulfill your obligation to your fellow man is through benefactors who exercise authority. That's your religion. You belong to a state religion. The stuff you do on Sunday, that's just to make you feel good about it. So anyway, Paul's pointing this out. The Romans who were following the teachings of Christ and Paul were taking care of one another. They were providing for one another. Those that had shared with those that didn't have. We we talk. The oldest church is really, it's just a little tiny building. The oldest Christian church was actually built by the nieces of Paul in Rome as a monument over the dead, the 3,000 dead who were killed and murdered by um, people who were so outraged by this event were Nero, this false flag event that Nero did to burn Rome so that he could start his civic renewal project. And, you know, I mean, history is repeating itself all the time. We've talked about that before in other shows. But, uh, his nieces, uh, built that, you know, from his half-brother. Built that, uh, those buildings. And they're inscribed, you know, with identifying marks that show that it was Paul and his nieces. And they're the oldest. But all they're doing is monuments over those bodies because they went out personally. And spent their money and their time to gather up those bodies and wash them and bury them, out of respect. But what were they doing? These are the people. And the fact is, is that one of them was a Brit. Uh, the mother of these two nieces was was a Brit, and known as Claudia. But she also had had the name of Gladys when she was in Britain. But when she was in Rome, she was so impressive that uh, Emperor Claudius named her Claudia and adopted her, even, even though her father was still there and alive, and was actually one of the leaders in Great Britain, a very outspoken fellow. But she married one of Paul's relatives, and these nieces were building the first churches, and out of their own pockets and out of their own expenditures were taking care of the needy of their society. You know, the Christians who were burned to death, they were buried, but there was a lot more work to do with those that were injured and beat up and and Rob, and then there were the victims of fire, because many Christians were also the victims of this fire that was being set by the henchmen of nero i mean there we we tell in articles about reports that were coming from that time of men throwing firebrands and spreading the fire. We have the authority to do this and, and there's reports I mean you read Tacitus and them that you know governments have been creating these false flag conspiracy things. And then, of course, they had to blame it on somebody, so they tried to blame it on the Christians. Pretty much the way that people try to blame everything on the Muslims or on the Syrians in order to get their way. And, of course, there's always this mindless population that goes, Yeah, let's get them. Yeah, they're evil and everything. And their brains are, you know, mush. You know, I always joke, I guess fluoride does work, you know, (laughs) kind of thing but uh, the reason they're mush is because they haven't had to use them and they're they're part of a collective unconsciousness that comes about in every social estate it comes about from selfishness is one thing that the devil wants you to be is selfish you see that's in his character it's about him it's about selfish about personal power and he wants you to be selfish too because then you're compatible spirits, and his spirit will start to suck your spirit to think the way he thinks. And we talked about that last night. And uh, it's a it's a spiritual phenomena. You don't really need to know anything about it until you start waking up. But once you start waking up, it's interesting to know how it is that you were sucked into such foolishness. And, and nations have been sucked in such foolishness time and time and time. Again, history does repeat itself. But anyway, we'll talk more about this and some solutions. Solutions, that's what you need. Not more bad news. You need some good news. And that's what the gospel is, is good news, because there's a solution there. So be right back, and we'll talk Solution Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about Paul and apostasy and who's the apostate. And who's the apostate now? Uh, Paul says in Romans 1 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Separated. Why? Because we're to live in the world, but not of the world. And Paul stepped out of the world, was not of the world anymore. He had a background of the world, but he was not of the world. And what word world is there that we're talking about? Constitutional order and system of government. People said, well, Paul claimed to be a Roman citizen. He wasn't born in Rome. He was actually from Cilicia. Uh, His father had this uh, status of Romeos. And his father wasn't born in Rome. But he was recognized as Romeos. And Romeos, you know, I point out that If you were in a centurion, just a regular centurion, signed up, enlisted for 20 years, which is what a centurion enlisted for, you were automatically given Roman citizenship. You didn't have to do anything for it. You just were given Roman citizenship because you were a centurion. So And they actually did this a lot. I mean, they had people from Gaul who became centurions. At first it was just Romans, but eventually there were a lot of foreign nationals who became centurions and immediately got Roman citizenship. But the head of the court comes in and says, are you Romeos to Paul? And he says, yes. He says, I had to pay a great sum for this freedom. He's not talking about general Roman citizenship. He's talking about a status you know, any officer was a Roman citizen. I mean, they enlisted for 18 years. I, I've done a little research, okay? I know what I'm talking about. When they're talking about Romeos, you can see right there in the text, they're not talking about general citizenship, which was actually called Quiris. They're talking about a status where you're whole. That's what Romeos means. Whole. And the Romeos that the head of the court was, was not just general Roman citizen. It meant... You couldn't be tried in the administrative courts. You could only be tried at law. Paul was from Cilicia. Cilicia was a republic that was recognized by Rome. So therefore, if you were a citizen, Romeos of Cilicia, you could only be tried at law. And the Roman head of the court knew this. The Roman guard who was tying Paul up and about to scourge him said, Oh my gosh, you're Romeos? I can't do this to somebody who's Romeos. He himself was a Roman citizen. He was a centurion. Romeos means something else, so you're go read our article on um, was Paul a Roman citizen. You you've been deluded. And it's one of those it's part of that strong delusion. But Paul was a servant of Christ, separated from the world unto the gospel of God, which is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Seek it and seek the righteousness of God. This was what he was. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. The gospel of his Son, that's the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying this. He's preaching the gospel to you that are at Rome also. In Romans 1.15 he says this. What is the gospel? The gospel is the kingdom of heaven is at hand that Jesus Christ is king. And those who want to make Jesus Christ their king would get the baptism of Christ and be cast out of the system of Corbin of the Pharisees that was making the word of God to none effect, and have to establish a system of Corbin, a system of sacrifice that made the word of God to effect because it was based on free will offerings and faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. That's not what you guys are doing out there in the world. You're of the world. Your, your Corbin is of the world. Rome had a Corbin too. Q-O-R-B-A-N. And it was a system of welfare. The Romans who were becoming Christians did not use that system. Those that had shared with those that didn't have enough. They were free from that system. They home taught their kids. They took care of one another through home health. Their welfare was managed by their ministers who did not exercise authority one over the other. There were some that were considered higher in them, amongst them, but they were because they were better servants. They were servants of servants of servants, just like in the days of the Levites when Moses first set it up. Not the way you see it by the time the Pharisees came along, because they didn't understand Moses. They thought it was okay to force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare and the welfare of their society. And Jesus said it was not. Paul was ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Romans one fifteen, And in one sixteen he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and to also the Greek. To everyone that believeth what? To believeth that thou shalt not covet. That thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt not live by the sword and force thy neighbor to contribute to thy free education and thy free health care and thy free welfare. Two men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other like the princes of the Gentiles. Like you do. You say, well, I don't do that. Well, do you create the alternative? Are you striving daily to create the alternative? Are you willing to come together with everybody in, in Las Vegas and Reno and and, um, and Sutter'sville, California and New Jersey? Are you willing to come together? And you say, oh, well, those guys aren't perfect like me. Those guys have problems. Those guys are impatient. So what are you supposed to do about that? Forgive them? Why? So that you may be forgiven. What about other forgiveness? Will you forgive your neighbor who's in debt up to his ear and is surety for debt in the government? And you say, I forgive you. You don't have to give me any more welfare. You know, I just had a birthday. I'm, I'm eligible for Social Security. I could go down. Somebody said that I would get a check from probably... Twelve to fifteen hundred dollars a month. Geez, that'd be good. I can make a. I could live well on that. Wouldn't have to work. I could watch DVDs all day. I could. I know how to make beer, so I mean, I don't even have to buy beer. (laughs) I could just just sit back and have a good time. But I won't take it because I know that if I took one dime, it's gonna come from my children and my grandchildren. Because there is no money in Social Security. It's all gone. There's not a dime in there. We wrote, go read our article on Not So Secure Social Security. It's on the website. Go read it. And show you right there in the law, there's not a dime left in Social Security. So every dime you take, you say, I paid in. So what? You know? You may have bought stock, too, but the company's bankrupt, so it's worth nothing. The only way you're going to get funds out of Social Security is you ask them to take away from your grandchildren and your neighbor's grandchildren, because they're going to borrow money to pay you. That's the way it works. There's nothing in there, and anyone who intimates that there is, is a liar. (laughs) You should tell them so, liar, liar, you know? So, the reality is, the unrighteous man has failed. He just hasn't hit the side, sidewalk yet. And so you think everything is still okay. Like the man who fell off the 55-story building and it was heard to say on the 30th floor and the 20th floor, okay so far. But you're going to hit the sidewalk and you're going to hit it hard and they know it. You know, tomorrow, uh Bernanke quits the... Um, Federal Reserve, along with several other, uh, officers of the Federal Reserve, they're, they're quitting it. Somebody else is going to be in charge. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow, the Vatican has implemented new policies concerning who's responsible for what and what government. And this last week, a venting steam fissure from volcanic sources evidently started bellowing just a short distance away from the Vatican. <laughs> and spewing out steam. Near the airport. And what else is happening? <laughs> so, anyway, it <laughs> doesn't matter. What are you doing to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Are you gathering together with others? Oh, you could, I can tell you what, you could write a check and send it down to your local food bank. And they will feed everybody who comes to the door. And that, you you, will, you can get a really good feeling about being charitable then. Because you gave. You know, I was talking to somebody who works in a prison. I think they said there was... They are actually probably out listening to this. Because they were, they were here at the festival. And uh, uh, I think they said there was 135 prisoners in the prison where they teach. And uh, there's like five whites. And the rest are blacks. And and some of them are in for murder and, and uh, all kinds of things. And th- these are young kids. And... Uh, It's just amazing. There's a whole elements of our society that are going this way. And why? Socialism. It doesn't have anything to do with race. It has to do with socialism. They have destroyed the black culture with socialism. But they're not going to stop there. They're destroying your culture. The white culture, the Chinese culture. I mean, the Chinese, they came here to America and they were treated as bad as the slaves. You know, the Chinese that came to California and everything, they were they were just terribly abused. Not much different than the Japanese. I mean, the Japanese were even, you know, World War II. I have friends um, who were incarcerated at the ages of five and seven during World War II because they were Japanese. But they still became extremely successful without welfare. Why? Because they were a family and because they worked together and they had a work ethic. Well, you can't dominate a people... You can't destroy a people that have that kind of care for one another and and the Jews used to have it, but it has to be an unselfish caring and it, it can't be just for Jews and can't be just for Chinese and can't just be for blacks it has to be for all mankind. you have to bless all nations that was that was the mission of Israel was to bless all nations to be a priest to all nations, what kind of a priest? A priest that taught them the ways of God, which is faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. But you, your socialist systems are not doing that; they're doing the reverse, and they've become—you know—they call them progressives now—militantly progressive. Now you can't stop that; you can't alter that. I tell the story. I was—I lived on Fillmore and Eddy in San Francisco on the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated. I had an apartment right there on the corner. Anybody who's familiar with San Francisco, that is the heart of the black neighborhood. And I decided that morning to walk to the zoo. But I hadn't seen the San Francisco Zoo, so I thought I'd walk to it. And I had no idea. I hadn't listened to the news or anything, no TV or anything like that. And... uh, uh, I'd spent a lot of time in prayer and meditation, and wondering about the mysteries of the universe, so to speak, and trying to uh come to grips for the challenges that were ahead in my life, which were many. uh And I wasn't watching the news or listening to the news, and I went walking down the street. Well, Martin Luther King had been assassinated, and there were riots in the streets, and there wasn't a white person anywhere. There wasn't even a car going down the street, which I thought was kind of peculiar. And I think it was a Sunday, if I remember right. So I kind of chalked it up. Everybody must be in church. But uh, there was about 200 guys on the street. And they saw me from quite a ways off, walking down the street. And they all gathered in this big clump on the sidewalk. I mean, it was just like a mass of people. Uh, all very black and very big guys. And I walked right up to them. And they're all just staring at me like, what is this crazy guy <laughs> I had no idea. Of the dangers that were afoot, but there really wasn't any danger because I was walking with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to show me something that day, and I looked back at these guys and I looked into their eyes and I looked into their faces. Nobody was saying a thing, and uh, I could see anger, and hate, and fear because anger and fear are the same thing. And I could see this in them, and I thought, like, what's what's going on here? And I wondered about it. I didn't judge it. There's a big difference. I wondered what I could see their pain. And I, I, I looked at it. I observed it. Well, they were out there looking for blood because they didn't want to see their pain. They wanted to see somebody else's pain. <laughs> they wanted vengeance. But I didn't want vengeance. I didn't want judgment. I didn't want to lord it over them. I didn't want to dominate or be angry or, or judge them in any way, shape, or form. I just had compassion. And they had no power to act. They couldn't raise a hand to me. Now the only reason I had that spirit in me is because God was with me. It was I couldn't conjure it up. I can't make my brain think that way. And God fortunately had kept me ignorant of what was really going on. <laughs> Because if my brain had entered into this, I, I could have started becoming, well, I should be afraid, and I should be uh, scared, uh, and these guys might hurt me, and uh, and then I would show fear. But God kept me ignorant enough so that I could remain still in love. And it was the most remarkable scene. I, I, I wish we had video cameras in those days. <laughs> and they just parted like the Red Sea. I mean, it was they formed two... Absolutely straight lines, about four and a half, five feet apart, you know, the the two lines. And there was like, you know, uh, 180 guys on one side and about 220 guys on the other side. But it was this perfect straight line. And they all stood there, shoulder to shoulder. I mean, it was almost like an honor guard. On both sides of this, you know, I don't know, it could have been 10, 15 men deep. You know, it was all the way across this wide sidewalk. And uh, going from Fillmore and Eddie to the zoo, so you can actually mark this out. I I thought at first they were coming out of some theater, and I was wondering why everybody was in this one place. But uh, they just stood there. And I nodded to the guy who seemed to be kind of the leader, and I just walked right to him. And it was the most amazing thing. The real power is in the spirit, but you're not moving according to the spirit of God. You've been deceived, and and don't feel bad about it. I mean, repent, but admit you've been deceived about what church is, about what the clergy is. You know, you can call them clergy and call them anything you want, um, but what ministers should be doing? They should be ministering, serving. Taking care of the social welfare needs of your society. Helping you. They should be the best and most charitable men amongst you. Not men seeking power. Right now, your clergy are men who seek power. They seek to be your lawmakers. They seek seek to decide good and evil for you. They seek to rule over you. Because you seek to rule over your neighbor. You want a new pool for the school. And so therefore you vote in a new bill that's going to take a little money from everybody. You want green grass in your cemeteries, so you put it on the public tax rolls. You want a health clinic in Christmas Valley, so you put it on the tax rolls. You're going to force your neighbor to pay for it because you think it would be good. You want a... You want social security, you want welfare, you want health care, so you're going to force your neighbor to pay into it. Your government's not going to pay into it. They're going to take from your neighbor. That's simple. That's not, you don't have to look that up. They're going to take from your neighbor. Yeah, they're going to borrow some money, but they're just borrowing from your neighbor's children and grandchildren. That is totally the antithesis of what God and Abraham and Moses and Enoch and Christ and John the Baptist were saying totally the opposite. And you're doing it. You just go to church just so that you feel good about doing it. So what I said that we were going to talk about solutions. So the solution is to gather together. And so we've created something we call the livingnetwork.org. And that's just an email group. And if you're listening to this over a digital computer, then you, can, you probably can find the livingnetwork.org. You go there and you sign up in your local area, New Jersey, you know, Boston, California, Las Vegas, Seattle, wherever you're at. And you gather with other people in your state and, and maybe in their nearby state, in small states like New Jersey or if you're on the border or somewhere. You gather together with them and they're not going to be perfect people. And they're not going to be, as a matter of fact, I can guarantee you they're not perfect people. They're going to have lots of baggage. They're the walking wounded. The people that should be doing this are the people in the churches that you know got lots of money and uh, are very successful and uh, have uh, uh, are, are, are working away, but they think everything is hunky-dory. But now there's a lot of people waking up. I mean, a lot of your tea parties they say they're thinking outside the box, uh, Ron Paul people thinking outside the box, and, but there, there could be even good Democrats, I mean just like there were Sadducees and Pharisees that were not far from the kingdom. But they're all under strong delusion, and the fact is, is where, how do you separate the goats from the sheep? How do you know the difference? Well, I know sheep, and sheep, rain sheep, free sheep, sheep that live out on the desert, where they're not fenced in and regulated, but follow their shepherd. They come together. They come together in small groups inside of a large group. You have a hundred sheep there, every little there'll be little groups of seven or ten sheep that gather together. And they'll always be together. And they'll keep an eye on the other sheep. And they, if they all of a sudden see that they've separated from the main flock, they'll baa, baa, and try to get back to that other flock. And they've learned to do that because there's coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions. And they do it by instinct. You've lost that instinct. You've been a farm flock in fence fields for so long. So, so long, feeding your own bellies, feeding your own comforts, feeding your own egos, feeding your own ambitions, that you don't know how to come together. You've lost the skill of being free sheep under God. You don't even know what a good shepherd is. You don't even know who your shepherd is. Your shepherds are the shepherds of force who put up the fences that bind you in these systems. But you paid them to put up those fences you sacrificed your sons and daughters so that they would have the funds to fence you in. And now they fenced you in and now you complain that they won't let me homeschool. You want to be free, you have to let your neighbor be free. And the only way you can do that is learn the ways of freedom. And the only way you can do that is to gather together and two or more people that are seeking the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God and His righteousness. And then... You won't be a lone family, homeschooling. You'll be a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire. That's what Christianity was called. They had their ministers, and the Romans had their ministers, and they wrote to emperors like Antonius Pius and said, this is how we do it, through faith, open and charity. Those having extra share with those that don't have enough. Now, the way Rome did it is they forced everybody to contribute according to the rules of their statutes and their Sanhedrins and their, and their Senates. They had become a socialist nation and abandoned the ways of the Republic and abandoned the ways of God and so have you. And your fate is sealed in the ways of Rome. If you want to turn around and seal your fate in the ways of righteousness, you have to gather together on local congregations and take care of the needy. I mean, don't send a check to some far off distant place. I mean, people think, oh, well, I'm going to go to Africa or I'm going to go to uh, South America because there are poor down there. There's poor here. There's poor orphans here on the streets that get gobbled up by gangs. Somebody was telling me about someone who was gobbled up. The gangs took them in when their parents were no longer there in their life and taught them how to murder. And they became a hitman for the gangs. They... I think they were brought into that world at eight, and uh, now they're doing life in prison. But they're the richest person in prison because they're well taken care of. <laughs> but uh, Anyway, you don't have to go to foreign countries to find the needy. There's nobody needier than the Americans of the world or, or other successful European nations or Australia. What you need to do is find Christ and the ways of Christ and start living them, walking in them, which is what Paul was teaching. And preaching. Until we meet again, may peace be upon your house, and may God be with you.
0: You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services counseling lectures books and other audio materials please write to his church at summer lake box 10 summer lake oregon 97640 you can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net